Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. In this first segment here, we uh, gave our big announcement. Uh, and we can't play the whole hour here. But after this segment, we had callers from Maine call in and back up what we said. So it is indeed true. Worse than we thought, of course. Uh, the detail that I think is interesting here, I should maybe give it at the end. Let me actually, mm, what's better? Should I give this detail at the end or in the beginning? Let, let me give it at the end. I'll give it at the end of the segment here. What, one of the details that the caller said, I think it's part of the journey of, of hearing what's going on. And it's a, it's a good kicker. Um, so it's the first segment. And to hear those callers, you got to subscribe or you can record with our new announcement that we'll make here. An announcement, and I'm terrible at promotion. So, but anyway, here, here's the announcement. I'm shocked that this is happening. I, I almost feel like I shouldn't announce it because I, I you know what? This, here's what I think is going to happen. I'm going to announce it, and then the bosses at SiriusXM are going to hear it. They're going to hear about it. I'm going to say it, and then they're going to hear it, and they're going to be like, "Wait, what are we doing? We can't do that." Who signed off on that? That's really what, and listen, they all signed off on it. Like paper has been signed, like everything. But so part of me is like, they're, they're going to like hear it out loud and be like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Stop, take it back. So I like, I almost don't even want to say. It. We are going to simulcast this radio show on the first TV. So I've had a uh, TV show over at, uh, over at the first for about two years or so. It's, it's me, Bill O'Reilly, Jesse Kelly, Dana Lash, Sean Spicer, Liz Wheeler. That's the crew over there. And the last two hours of this show are going to be live over on the first TV. And you can watch the first TV on DirecTV, channel 347. If you have DirecTV, DirecTV Stream, UVerse, channel 1220. And uh, the first TV is on Pluto, Fubo, Haystack, Distro, whatever. They're on all Roku. Uh, if you have an Amazon, Samsung, Vizio, LG TV, it's all there. It's one of the channels on everything. Like all the streaming platforms, it's everything. But if you have DirecTV, channel 347, that's the big one. And then there's a, the first TV app, which is a free app as well. And you can watch the show there as well. And the first show is coming up on Tuesday. And it's the second hour of, sorry, the second two hours of the show. So this is the one hour that will be exclusive to Sirius XM. And I just, I can't believe everyone signed off on this. When, when this idea was first a, a twinkle in someone's eye and who cares who gets credit for it. You know what I mean? But when I first heard of it, I said, well, no way will that work. No way will Breitbart go for that. No way will Sirius XM go for that. No way will the first TV go for that. And then everyone went for it. I think it starts on Tuesday. So I guess everyone went for it. I don't th I think people are going to be like, ah, I don't know if I go for it anymore. Amazing. But here's why it really happened. And then we'll get to the news. Um, each of these companies that I work for have a strict and, and often explicit no jerk policy. 
Now, they each may have a different word for it, but the essence is jerk. Every single person involved is a sane, rational person who are all in it for the, for the right reasons, for good reasons. And they just do things that make sense. And everyone was like, yeah, let's do it. I feel like in the, in the world today, everyone's like, no, here's all the reasons why we can't. But everyone at, at these three companies was like, yeah, of course, great, awesome, great idea. So it's unbelievable. So if you want to see the show, it starts on Tuesday. And go back later and watch things and, and all the rest. Um, all right, we got uh, yesterday, last two days, <clears throat> we've had uh, two great immigration-related guests Back to back. I can smell the fire from up here. Oh, my, the smoke. My wife is going to be so mad. I'm going to hear it a little bit. Anyway, uh, two great immigration guests the two previous days. We talked to Randy Clark yesterday about kicking kids out of the school in Brooklyn to put the illegal immigrants in them, in it, in the school, which is unreal. Then Roxanne called in. She's a public school teacher in New York City. And she said, well, actually, this is starting to make sense because back in November... They started telling us that we need to prepare more for remote learning. And Roxanne was like, what? So here it is. Here's the email from November. Uh, This is to families. Dear families, New York City Public Schools is initiating a remote learning readiness practice plan to support and improve schools' readiness in the event that a transition to remote, remote learning is necessary. Why would that be necessary? And no one knew. It didn't say. It, it didn't say in, in case it would be necessary because of a flu pandemic. It didn't, or in case there's a hostile takeover of the school and you have to stay home. It doesn't say any specifics. COVID's over. Snow day's not a big deal. They build those into this to the year. Why would that be necessary to have a remote learning plan? would only be necessary if they plan on closing down schools, right? And we can't have a, you know, whatever. I don't even know how many illegal immigrants are in New York City. A million? We can't have a million illegal immigrants in New York City on the streets before the election. Trump's going to win New York. So we got to put them somewhere. But I don't see how this could not outrage parents even more than just leaving them on the streets. So I asked Randy, I know Randy's not like a political analyst. I, I feel bad putting him on the spot with that. But he's, I say, hey man, is this going to translate into anyone waking up? Is this going to translate to anyone in blue cities being like, hmm, if only there were a, a presidential candidate who was who had who had interesting uh, border policies that could make policies that could make a difference here. If there's anyone in America uh, running for president who who put America first, I wonder if that was. I wish that was a thing. Is there anyone who would put that together and vote for? Donald Trump, and he he said no. <laughs> but I, I hope, my hope is someone would. But he's probably right. Realistically, they won't. Now, what happened at this one school is uh, seems a little worse than we first thought. So at first, we were told it was remote learning for the kids. Remote learning. It's even less than that. Here's the flyer that was sent to parents. All classes will be remote. Please log into your teacher's Google Classrooms for your required assignments. The completion of your assignments will dictate the attendance for the day. 
teachers will be available via Zoom if requested prior by email. What? So there's no teachers. You do, they just have every teacher just assigns a tiny bit of work. And if you complete the work, then you've attended that day and there's no instruction going on at all. Isn't that amazing? So it's not even remote learning. It's just do some extra homework. Corey DeAngelis made a great point. He said the New York City government schools spend over $35,000 per student per year. 35000 Give that money to New York, uh, New York City families first instead of shoveling it to failure factories that house immigrants when they're supposed to be educating kids. Of course. Is there a better example of America not first than this? Could you possibly come up with a more clear, obvious example? Like, there's no way. If so, someone told me a week ago that, oh, the, what they're going to do is they're going to kick the kids out of school. Without, I said, oh, that's crazy. There's no way they, they do that. No, no, we have to kick kids out of school, shut down the school so we can put the illegal immigrants in the school. Unbelievable. Now it gets crazier. the airport part of the airport has been sectioned off to house illegal immigrants they got cots and everything someone took a video walking through the terminal and there's cots all over the place cots as far as the eye can see and then there's these black curtains going down the long hallway and the guy takes the camera and peeks behind the curtain and there's like five times as many cots behind the curtain and the guy's saying this is an airport this is an airport. It's an airport. What, what's happening? It's an Amazing. Uh, a couple of years ago, because it would have been a while back, like eight years ago, so, a friend of mine went to France, and the train station was completely jam-packed with I don't know, immigrants from Syria or something. I don't know where they're Libya, maybe. And it was uh, it's a third world, and, and we're becoming that. And they're taking, they're taking over our schools and airports. And the question is, will this cause people to vote for Trump? I don't know. You can vote for the current guy. And you can be like, oh, well, this is a local issue. No, I mean, yes, but of 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 many issues this one is the, is a national one and it's a direct executive one too cuz a lot of issues and I'll defend either president for for saying oh well that's congress's job fair this one's not this is not congress's job this is the president's job this is the executive's job you got to get the executive in who will enforce the laws that are already on the books and this is so easy so that was yesterday we talked with Randy there's one more illegal immigrant uh taking americans things story that i want to share but Two days ago, we talked with Neil Monroe from Breitbart.com, of course, about safe mobility offices, parole, and the use of NGOs. So you go back to the podcast, and you can hear Neil. It was at 7.30 two days ago. But the final point he made, and I think this is the one that is just top of mind because it's the last thing he said because it's like 10 amazing things he said. But this one's the last one he said, so it's in my mind. The reason why Biden needs so much money right now, which the GOP is going to give him, by the way. We'll talk about Hunter Biden in a second. See what Hunter did yesterday? Like Hunter Biden has no problem humiliating the Republicans. Humiliating them right in front of their face. 
there's performance art humiliation right in front of them. And the Republicans, I don't know, like think they won yesterday or something? I So the Republicans are going to give Biden the $14 billion, And a bunch of this money is going to go to these NGOs, non-government organizations, to keep illegal immigrants off the streets. So that it doesn't look bad coming up before the election. We can't have it look bad. Now, putting them in schools is a bad look too. So they haven't quite figured out what to do. But leaving them on the streets isn't going to work for them politically. Only 22% of Americans believe that illegal immigration will make America a better society. That was the latest poll. 22% of Americans think that that illegal immigration will make America a better society. 22%. That's a big problem for the Democrats. Because they want the illegal illegal immigrants, but they don't want the bad optics. That's what we got right now. But they only have, what, 10 months to get as many illegal immigrants as possible? I guess it's more than that. I guess they can go until January. They probably got a year. They got one year to bring in as many illegal immigrants as possible, but not make it look like they're bringing in as many illegal immigrants as possible. So they got a tricky situation here. So you can check out podcast from two days ago to hear the rest of Neil Monroe. He was great. Um, and John, how about this one? It has now been learned that people in England seeking asylum, not here, England, half of the kids, half of the kids who claim asylum in England are actually adults. So this just shows how detached from reality this whole thing is. You can have people in their 30s claiming to be kids. And the immigration authorities say, yeah, okay. I can't prove you're not. And you're like, yeah, well, of course. Like, If someone is claiming asylum and they don't qualify, because they certainly don't, but we say, uh, okay, sure, your hearing is in 10 years. Enjoy your time here. In the meantime, What's the difference between that and saying, uh, are, you, are you under 18? Yeah, I'm 17. You look 35. But uh, not if you say so. Like Those are both equally absurd. 8,700. You know what I mean? Like one of, Neither of those are more absurd than the other. So if you're going to have one, you might as well have the other. 8,766 illegal immigrant children seeking asylum in, uh, in England. 8,766. 3,944. We're not kids. We're adults. That's great. So, of course, more and more people are coming in claiming to be kids when they're not. The year before, there were not 3,944, called 4,000. There were 1,500. And the year before that, there was 800. So, So it's just like doubling every year. Why not? Word gets around. Just tell the immigration guy, I'm 16 years old. And the countries that they lie the most is Afghanistan, Iran, and Sudan. Here's Breitbart.com. A particularly egregious example came in 2020 after a supposed child migrant who, quote, looked 40, was placed along teenage school children in Coventry, England. One parent exclaimed, He's got a receding hairline, for God's sake. 
A 38-year-old man was brought over to Britain from a migrant camp in France as part of a scheme to receive child migrants. 38. And you look at the picture of the guy, he's not even a young 38. He definitely looks 40-something, and they're like, you, you a kid? Yes, I am. Okay. Gosh. So those stories are from a while back, but, and it was funny. It was funny when it was one or two. But when this is becoming the norm, what are we talking about here? Now, it's one thing to be complain about or to be concerned about 40-year-olds. 40-year-old illegal immigrants in our schools. I'm concerned just with the proper-aged children, illegal immigrants in our schools. To me, that's a non-starter. And we have to go way back, way back to 1994. Ancient history, 1994. When California voted 59 to 41 to ban all illegal immigrants from welfare, hospitals, and schools. 59% of Californians. It was called the Save Our State Initiative. I know I mentioned it a lot because it's so mind-boggling that that was a thing that passed in California, passed LA, passed San Diego. 59% statewide said we're going to ban illegal immigrants from all welfare, social services, hospitals, and schools. So 30 years ago, it wasn't that, it was not only was it not a crazy idea, it was a popular idea because our public schools should be for Americans, for people who speak English. It's, it's, it's so it's crazy that we have schools now where they will brag where there are uh, there's a there's a hundred languages spoken in our school a hundred languages what are you, I, I can name like eight languages how can you have a hundred and how can you expect to do math or teach anything in this school that's they're absurd and you're bragging about it so we've gone in 30 years we went from California by the way that, that proposition got overturned by a court and then the state didn't fight it. So that's why it's not a thing. Uh, I don't know why the court said they. I'm going to go back and find that court case. Um, so in 30 years, we went from let's ban illegal immigrants from schools to let's kick out the American citizens from the schools to house illegal immigrants. And if you were thir- if 30 years ago, if you were here in California, there in California, arguing for this proposition, you would use the slippery slope argument. You'd be like, listen, we got we to stop this. It's out of control. This illegal immigration is out of control in general and, and the way that it's infecting our schools in terrible ways. It's got to stop. I mean, who knows? If we don't stop this one day, one day there could be a situation where they actually kick all the Americans out of schools to make room for all the illegal immigrants that are flooding into our country. And, and that person would have been laughed at. Like, oh, come on. Come on, don't make up. Don't be ridiculous. We're going to make things up here. You're undercutting your own argument by being so ridiculous. And here we are. Let me give you another one. This one Maine, the great state of Maine, is going to pay $3.5 million to provide 60 families in Brunswick. Rent for two years. This is local ABC 15 News in Brunswick, Maine. 60 migrant families were going to pay their rent for two years. Two years. 
not your rent. So I'll be clear, just in case you heard like free rent and you're like, what? I get free rent? No, 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 don't be ridiculous. You don't get free rent. Come on. They get free rent. Oh, the immigrants that we took in from, uh, you know, like, oh, like the, the families in Afghanistan that helped us with that war as trans. No, 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 no. Like people from El Salvador or something. People that have done nothing for us. First order of business was break our laws. Second order of business, get free rent for two years. On taxpayers' dime, too, by the way, this isn't like a Mark Zuckerberg charity program. This is your tax dollars in Maine. Free rent. The state is also supplying $100,000 to dozens of Brunswick migrants for a year's worth of asylum application and work authorization assistance. The legal support seeks to ensure immigrants receive work approval as soon as possible so they can, quote, provide for themselves, reduce pressure on public programs, and help local economies by joining the workforce. Yes, help local economies. Who, who in the local economies? Help who? Help what? So that's where we are right now. We're going to give illegal immigrants... This is in Maine, but why would this not go other places? We're going to give you the immigrants uh, free rent for two years and $100,000 for work authorization assistance, you know, to help the economy. There's this ridiculous conversation going on about uh, reparations for black people in America. Totally absurd. Then there's this talk about guaranteed minimum income for people in America. Uh, terrible policy will certainly happen. Like we're definitely going to that point. It's awful, terrible idea in every way, but it, it, it's a thing that will happen. Those are at least with citizen. Like at least the people who get reparation, uh, reparations would be American citizens, <laughs> right? So like it never even crossed my mind that like that's a positive of the program. Like, well, at least they're Americans. Here we have a program where they're just giving it to people who are here illegally. How can the people of Maine be okay with this? How could a politician do this to you? Right to your face. Right in front of you. Spit in your face like this. Humiliate you like this. And speaking of humiliating you, see Hunter Biden yesterday? Hunter Biden, we're going to talk with a congressman coming up. Uh, Hunter Biden's in contempt of Congress. And they're having a hearing about that. And he showed up, like in the audience. He just he showed up like, uh, I guess, like anyone could show up at a hearing. It's like, sit there. And at a certain point, here's just like one second of it. Let's, let's see if this. I believe that Hunter Biden should be held completely in contempt. I think he should be hauled off to jail right now. Okay. Well, he wasn't. And at a certain point, he walked out. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. But just to, just to be clear, like, he wasn't even, like, he wasn't invited, like, in the first place. Or something. For five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse going? me, Hunter. Oh, apparently, you're afraid of my words. Uh, here <laughs> oh, I like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. Okay, so like that's not a power move from the Republicans. The Republicans think they did like this. Like, oh, they're scared of us. Look, he's not even answering our questions. He's what? No, no, no. He's definitely not scared of you. There's no question. They're not scared of you. 
You with me? So the, the, you should, we should consider why he's not scared of you. But based on what the Republicans have done lately, why would, why would anyone be? Why would these illegal immigrants have any concern either? Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. The kicker afterwards, uh, we had a couple callers from Maine calling, is these, this latest group, and I don't know if they're illegal immigrants or they're here illegally. They're from the Congo, which kind of changes your, the visual in your brain of, of where these people are from. And this caller said that for a while there were a bunch of people from Somalia, and there's like literally Lewiston, Maine, I think it's Lewiston. There's, it's like little Mogadishu, like Mogadishu stores and stuff uh, and now there are a bunch of people from the Congo. What in the world is going on? So uh, that was that. And if you want to hear the other the callers and all the rest, you got to subscribe to SiriusXM Patriot uh, or SiriusXM. Or you can watch us on the first TV starting on Tuesday as well. Uh, coming next, Dr. Gorka. It was fantastic as always. What was it, Dr. Gorka? I can't predict the behavior of lunatics, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it says, brilliant. I can't. I'm not. I'm not insane. <laughs> you're, you're asking me what the left is going to do, and it's like you know they're just uh, clinical lunatics. <laughs> so you said a couple of really interesting things that I had. One I had to look up, and then and then so TV's fine, but it's so short you can't. Yeah. yeah. You know, like oh here, like let's talk for eight minutes, like. Eh. And the, but even I that's better than when, when I'd, I'd go on Hannity's show, you know, he'd say, so tell me what's going on in Afghanistan. And you've got, you know, seven minutes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Man, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good hit. Like, like uh, lower people like me, you get three and you're like, well, what is the point of this? Um, so radio is right. way better. So one thing you said with the question, the, the, the special was about um, can Donald Trump win? And, and of course, I wanted to ask you the bigger question, which is, will they let Donald Trump win? But you had a great line that no other president in history has ever been an outsider. No other president has ever no. not been something. And you said that, and I was like, how can that be true? So I just rattled off a couple names in my brain or afterwards. And I was like, all right, what about Calvin Coolidge? <laughs> like, no, he was vice president. Okay. What about McKinley? What did McKinley? No, he was governor of Ohio. Um, how about Millard Fillmore? How about like, surely Millard Fillmore was out. Darn it. He was the vice president. Sure enough, every single president was either VP, a member of Congress, a governor, a cabinet secretary, or a general, except or a for. Yeah, this is, this is the amazing thing, that people, Americans who were born here, unlike me, I find that stunning, don't know what we did as Americans in 2016. It's, it's truly, you know, it's a historic event, which I believe has changed politics forever. Mm. The idea that every president from Washington to Obama was a senator, a congressman, a governor, or a retired general, meaning, quote-unquote, members of the political elite. Along comes a guy who's a private sector self-made billionaire, and he runs the first time and gets elected. I, I love this phrase from, from my buddy Dan Bongino. He says, that was a double-barreled middle finger <laughs> to the political elite from America, and we need to understand 
what that means. And, and, and the GOP has, still has no idea of the significance of that act by 64 million Americans. No. So what, is it, what does it mean? What does it say? We, hate, we despise what, two, these people? <laughs> well, two, two things. It, it means two things in the big scheme of things. And number one, uh, tens of millions of Americans have had it. Have just had it. I mean, it's it goes back to why President Trump was elected. Uh, if you read J.D. Vance's book, Hillbilly Elegy, it's the best explication of of how that you know shot from out of the blue actually happened. And remember, when J.D. wrote that book, he did not like Donald Trump, but he explained how you know his family and many tens of millions like his family were betrayed by both political parties over the course of about 50 years. So, so number one, it's changed politics. It's more than that, you know, the GOP is now a MAGA party. It's, it's, the left likes to call it the rise of populism, right? But that's meant to be a pejorative phrase. Mm-hmm. I like to think of it as a global phenomena from, you know, Nigel Farage, Brexit, to uh, Modi, to uh, what's happening with uh, Maloney in Italy. It's, it's the recrudescence, it's the rebirth of a politics that wants the people to be sovereign and utterly and completely, with 100% contempt, rejects the quote-unquote elite expert class. That's the biggest significance. And, 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 and secondly, it's not going to stop. Because look at, what, look at the figures again. I'm taking politics out of it for a second. He, he was, after four years of the worst calumny in you know, American history, calling him uh, an anti-Semite, a white supremacist, a literal Nazi, what happens? He gets 10 million more votes than the first time. I mean, incumbent presidents don't get 10 million more votes the second time round. In fact, if they win, they usually get less votes than the first time round. So the American people simply have had enough, and the elite, the big take-home, the elite has to stop him. When, when you're not owned by lobby interests, by big pharma, by the unions, by big oil, by you know the, the Beltway bandits, you must be stopped. And that's why President Trump is facing you know, 730 years in prison right now. Yeah, there's no other way to stop it, though. Um, so two, two things today that we talked about that are just real, just spits in the face. Um, Maine is going to pay $3.5 million to provide 60 families in Brunswick rent for two years. And we had yeah. some people from Maine call in. We talked all about this in the 6 o'clock hour. We had people from Maine call in backing all this up. A bunch of people from the Congo. You're like, what? And they're giving $100,000 to dozens of these, these, I don't know if they're legal or illegal immigrants from the Congo, but a year's worth of asylum application and work authorization assistance, $100,000. So like that is, that is just a total spit in the face. And then, and like, I can't think of a more not America first than that. And of course, kicking the kids out of the school in, in New York city. Right. And then Hunter Biden yesterday, and I, I don't want to get into a whole Hunter thing, but like he knows he won't get arrested. He knows his dad won't allow the AG to put him in handcuffs. So they can just spit in your face. So like, there's nothing that will stop these people except for a Trump, right? It's, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. And, and let me give credit here to my, my Salem colleague who keeps conservatives in, in Los Angeles and in Southern California sane for three hours every morning. So I have Jennifer Horn on. 
uh, every week to you know, talk to me about what's going on in California. But more and more, we talk about national stuff. And we, we, we touched upon the Hunter thing yesterday. And first things first, you know, after your show, people need to go and watch the video of Hunter Biden going into that hearing as he's, you know, in contempt of Congress with his entourage beaming for the media, the utter contempt, like he sits there like a princeling of a city state, you know, in Florence of the 17th century, and he sits there knowing he has utter, utter immunity because of his last, last name. And then Jennifer asks this question, and it just, you know, you know these moments in radio, Mike, where you're live and you get this kind of gut punch, and like intellectually everything changes, and you can't stop thinking about this thing. So she says the following. <laughs> Would people like Hunter Biden, actual criminals, be arrested by the FBI if President Trump became president again? And you go, crap. That's the, that's the real question. N not the arrogance, not not the entitled. I am a little princeling. I can do whatever I want. But if the will of the people spoke once more and say, you know, eighty-five million Americans vote for President Trump. God willing, you know, he gets installed. He gets sworn in. Could could he as the chief executive? actually see law and order in America, would, would, would the government obey the man chosen by the will of the American people? Because they're, they're, they're cool with arresting him right now, whether it's in Atlanta, whether it's being in a D.C. court yesterday. The, the, the government is fine with arresting the leader of the opposition who just happens to be a former president. But could you even arrest real criminals if we won? Because remember what happened in 1776. Re remember what America is. America is the first republic. Forget the Greeks, because, you know, they had, you know, people who weren't represented, and it, was, it wasn't true, you know, democracy. Our republic was born on the concept of the sovereignty of the people. The, the mandate isn't because of, because of a, a sovereign or a dynasty or some elite. The mandate comes from the American people. I don't know, Mike, if the American people speak in November and my old boss comes back in, whether, whether his government that he's running would actually obey, obey him and do the writ of the, of the people. And that's, that's when you realize the, the severity of the situation. Do you, do you know any examples in the first four years what there's plenty can you think can you name one uh off the top of your head what's the first one <laughs> off the top of your head of the deep state trying to sabotage trump when he was in white house but you're suggesting that the next level of that is outright uh, disobedience that's not the quite right outright betrayal well millie millie came up the other day <clears throat> why did millie come up the other day oh, oh biden biden spoke of millie at the uh, valley ford speech that trump wants to have uh you know his former whoever uh, and uh, executed. And I thought of what you told me. <laughs> I asked you about Mark Milley. But yeah, so, so, so is, is there an example of the deep state already starting to do that for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I posted the story last night. People need to read it. It's on all my social media. Red State has got an a officer from the J6 uh, who's gone on record saying 
it was Mark Milley who orchestrated January the 6th. It was Mark Milley, who's, by the way, after the National Security Act uh, of 47 and after the Goldwater Nichols Act of 86, we, the, 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 the chairman of the Joint Chiefs has no command authority. He is a purely a military advisor to the president. He's not allowed to be in the chain of command. It was Mark Milley who stood down and sabotaged the deployment of the National Guard as per President Trump's request to secure Congress on January the 6th. So, so we have the evidence. We have witnesses now that, that we have traitors at the highest level of government. And you know, did I see it? We don't have time to discuss what I've seen because I saw it every stinking day in the White House. I'll just give you one example that I can back up that I've mentioned before on my show, but maybe your listeners haven't heard. Uh, a few weeks into the administration, I was given a job to do with a certain terrorist group, and I couldn't do it by myself. Look, I'm one guy, so I wanted to create a team to get the job done. And I trained, you know, thousands of members of the military, hundreds of civilians across uh, the IC, the intelligence community. So I said, okay, there are four people I know who I've trained in grad school, three at the Bureau, three at the FBI, one at the CIA. I want these people seconded to the White House, which is utterly normal. The White House has no staff. I mean, it has a tiny staff of political appointees like me, but everybody else comes from the agencies, DOD, state, CIA, etc. And I put in a named request for these four individuals. The head of HR said, oh, Dr. Gorka, that should take uh, max two weeks, maybe just a week. We just have to transfer the... The, you know, the, the clearances in scattered castles over to the White House, uh, and, and it'll be very quick. Nothing happens for months. I keep going back, and the lovely lady says, oh, just a few more I's to dot and a few more T's to cross. Six months in, a senior FBI agent who's meeting with somebody else at the White House peels off after the meeting and comes and finds my office, and he says, hey, just a heads up, Seb, off the record. You know those three guys you requested? These have been former students of mine who are at the Bureau. You know the three guys you requested? You're never going to get them. And I said, what do you mean? I'm a deputy assistant to president. What do you mean I'm never going to get them? Direct quote, Mark. He says this. You need to understand the seventh floor of the Hoover Building, meaning the director and deputies. Look at this White House as the enemy. I'll repeat that. The seventh floor of the FBI looks at this White House as the enemy. So the man elected by the will of the American people was deemed to be the enemy of America. That's how bad it was then. How bad do you think it's got now? What's, the, what's on the seventh floor in particular, you said? The, the director of the FBI and all the deputies. The director. The, the leadership. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Everybody, everybody who's unelected, right, but who runs the bureau yeah. above the agents and the supervisory special agents. You know, yeah. none, so, nobody, there's nobody who's ever been elected, doesn't have the writ of the American people. They're supposed to be doing the, the writ of the American people in yes. accordance with the will of the chief executive, who's the president. But no, for them, he is, quote, the enemy. And then, and then people are surprised that after he leaves office, Mar-a-Lago is raided by gun-toting feds who tell his attorneys... <laughs> Stand outside the building. You're not allowed to watch what we're going to do inside the building. That actually happened at the residence of the president. So they're telling you, President Trump being reelected is going to bring a dictatorship to America. Wake up, guys. The dictatorship is here. 
We didn't raid Obama's house. We didn't arrest his assistants at Reagan Airport and put them in leg shackles. We didn't have Catholics surveilled by the FBI in Virginia because they just happened to be traditional Catholics. That's happening right now. There is a threat to quote-unquote democracy, even though we are a republic. That threat is in the White House, at the FBI, at the CIA, at the IRS, across the government. The deep state, it's not a deep state. Forget the deep state. It's the in-your-face permanent bureaucracy. I'm thinking when, when Trump gets in and tries to clean this more than even last, like having a firmer grasp of, of what's truly in front of him. Yeah. Any any major reform, like was, isn't there talk about like turning those people into like employees or something so that they're fireable or something yeah, like that? Schedule F, yeah, the, the, yeah, converting thousands and thousands of bureaucrats into Schedule F employees who can be terminated. Yeah, it can be terminated. Yeah, so like he'll do something like that yeah. or whatever you guys figure out, and he'll just be like crucified. <laughs> he'll just be. It'll be like it'll be you know compared to January six, it'll be the great gutting of our fine government or some some I don't know how to characterize it but it'll be right, tyrannical right. the assault the assault on America right? that's right, right. <laughs> oh, oh I can't wait it's just but, I'm but, so let me, excited let me, let me just stop stop me there for a second because this I mean <laughs> his propensity to do that to actually fix things is the number one reason why we vote for President Trump let, yes. let me just be clear here there are what 330 million people in America uh, maybe a third of those are eligible to be president who are natural born, who are over 35 and who've been uh, resident here in America for more than 14 years. So let's say a third of America is, is eligible to be president. Out of that 100 million people, only one of them is in the position of President Trump. I mean, truly constitutionally unique. There's one breathing American in a sui generis category. And that's my former boss. Why? Because he's the only living person who is only eligible to serve in the presidency for four years. Everybody else, <laughs> including Chris Christie, everybody else, from DeSantis to Vivek, everybody else, is eligible for eight years in office. Which means what? Means what? The second they raise their hand on January 20th and take the oath of office, what is the number one thing they're thinking about, Mike? The second they become president. Yeah, I'm going to get reelected. Getting reelected, right? getting reelected, which means they want two terms in office, which means from day one, they must compromise. They can't go full berserker. They yeah. can't clean out the rot. They can't reform the FBI. They can't reform the CIA. They can't get the bloated bureaucracy that's turned Washington, D.C. into a 93% Democrat voting hellhole. He, anyone else is going to compromise footsie under the table with the Democrats. There's only one person who can come into office and on day one doesn't have to compromise. And with a flamethrower in each hand and with a bayonet amongst his, you know, held in his teeth, can come into this city and burn out the corruption for four years. There's only one person. And that is why we vote for him. Because you know Ron's not going to do it. You know Haley's not going to do it. Nobody who wants to be reelected re will be in a position to do what needs to be done, except Donald Trump. Yeah, I'd, I'd like everyone to rewind or go back to the podcast and listen to the last two minutes again and again and remember all that. Um, this is a question Dr. Gork I had on the TV, but we didn't have time. Uh, and it's even more mm -hmm. relevant here now since we've been talking. So you've seen Trump work, of course. You've seen him operate. Um, 
my question is, and I don't know if there's a, there's like a political, there's political questions and then there's more like foreign policy, like presidential questions. I don't know if there's a distinction or a difference. I think at first I was asking politically, but now I may more, I care more about maybe just like real presidential stuff, but we'll see where it goes. So when Trump is presented with a challenge or a question, a problem, does he sit and think, is it instinct? Does he have an OODA loop that's just so fast he knows what to do? What does he, what does he do when presented with a problem? All right. For, for the non-cognoscenti, OODA loop is Colonel Boyd's concept of observe, orientate, decide, and act. It's, it's what fighter pilots do. So we, we, we don't wanna, you don't get tarred with the, oh, they're doing Washington speak. So let, let, let me explain um, the president's way of thinking. It, it's, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen anybody like this. Because his capacity to know what needs to be done is preternaturally instinctual. So he listens. Uh, one of the most shocking yes. things about the president, and nobody will believe it, especially on the left, whenever you meet him, even if it's for a couple of seconds, he, the first thing he'll ask after he says, how's, how's Katie, how's the wife, how's everything, <laughs> he'll say, what do you think about this? I mean, almost instantly he'll ask your opinion. The most powerful man in the world will ask your opinion. I mean, I saw him a couple of times in, in Mar-a-Lago in the last month. He's asking my opinion about something as I walk into his office, which is like, who, me? I mean, what? Uh, why do you want m my opinion? And then when it's a big issue, he wants to hear from everybody, and then he decides with, with an instinctual veracity that is shocking. I remember the proudest moment of my time in, in the White House is when it was every six months we had to decide whether we were going to extend or cancel the Obama-Iran deal, the JCPOA. And it comes that time, and he's in the Oval with the Cabinet, with the National Security Advisor, and he calls for me and Bannon. And, and Steve and I come to the, the Oval. He says he called us his heavies, and he said, OK, guys, <laughs> you explain to these people why the JCPOA is bad. And we said, okay, here's the elevator pitch. Steve and I, you know, in 60 seconds said, why it's bad for Israel, why it's bad for America, why it's bad for the national security of, you know, everything that matters, the region, you name it. And then he listened to everybody else, and then he killed it. I mean, proudest moment in my, my career is when he killed this deal that was going to make I Iran a nuclear nation. He listens, and then he acts. I mean, the, the thing about being a president is you've got to be decisive, I mean, you've got to be decisive when lives are on. It's like when, when he heard, I love how everybody's, you know, became an expert on the Wagner group. Well, we know we knew a lot about the Wagner group before that fake uh, you know, attempted coup in Moscow. And when we told the president that there are 300 Russian special forces guys running around the Middle East, destabilizing the region. What did he do for the first time since the, the October Revolution of 1917? He said, oh, really? kill them. He told the Pentagon, kill them all. And in the process of, in the space of four hours, the United States, the president, had hundreds of Russian elite soldiers, quote unquote mercenaries, turned into red mist. Why? Because they were a threat to the whole region. That's how decisive he is. Uh, the same with, with the chemical weapons in, in uh, Syria. When he heard that another attack was being prepared against civilians at an airbase in, in Syria, 
he told the Pentagon, yeah, t- turn that air base into a sheet of glass. 52 cruise missiles later, no <laughs> chemical weapons, no air base. He wasn't about intervention. He wasn't about invasion. He wasn't about some, you know, neo-Trotskyite, Straussian, uh, we're going to turn the world into democracy at the end of a gun barrel invasions like the neocons. He just said, you know what, that's bad. Uh, sort it out, and then we'll get back to the business of America first. That's what being presidential is, clarity and then decisiveness. Mm-hmm. And in his case, it's, it's preternatural. His instincts, you know, nine out of ten times he makes the decision, and boom, it is the right decision. An instinctual veracity. <laughs> that is yeah. shocking. Does, does that decisive... Uh, does that decisiveness um, uh, miss the nuance? And I ask that because there's um, this, the story of JFK during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and like he was so milling about about what to do and how to do it, but uh, that he would like go in the garden, and he like became really good friends with the gardener there because he spent so much time yeah, considering right. what. And like you read that, and you're like, oh, that's beautiful. Like he's really struggling through the whatever. And I just I don't see Trump doing that. I don't know what's better. Does he miss the nuance? Is what I'm trying to say when you act so quickly. Well, uh, it depends what you mean by nuance. Nuance is a code word in in D.C. for, oh, things are so complicated. That's (laughs) so nuanced. You you have to talk to the experts at the Brookings Institute because that question, oh, oh, Hamas, oh, that's nuanced. No, no, putting babies in ovens isn't nuanced, you asshole. Uh, Nuance is code word uh, for, oh, we're much smarter than you. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, you know, th- there are legion stories of President Trump before he became president, you know, walking around Turnbury and then you're going through a, a, a glass partition door and then saying, hey, that that hinge is squeaky. Why is that hinge squeaky? I mean, it's like Churchill had this capacity to be living in, in the strategic level, you know, the macro level, and then being a- able to dive down to the totally tactical, you know, the meetings of, of, of cabinet with his science advisors discussing the nuances or the fine details of the radar system they're going to install for the first yes. time along the, the coast of Britain to stop the Luftwaffe. That, that, it's that kind of weird juxtaposition of being able to think big, but but understanding that big is made up of a composition of lots of little without allowing the little to distract you. I mean, you, you, you've got to understand, quote-unquote, detail or nuance when you're a builder, right? And he's a builder. I mean, let's remember what he was. He's decisive and pragmatic because he built skyscrapers. That's yes. his, you know, that's his job for 50 years. You've got to live in the real world. But with the caveat that he doesn't let that nitty-gritty, that fine detail, the filigree of life distract him from what's really important. Oh, they're using chemical weapons, kill them all. I mean, it, it, it's that balance. Yes, that's. Oh, I love the skyscraper point. He builds skyscrapers, but also really cares where the marble is from in the lobby of Trump Tower. Bingo, bingo. Can tell you exactly bingo. what mountain it was mined from and why. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. You, you, you're talking like you've met him. You, you nailed it. You got it. Yeah, so good. All right, Doctor Gorga, uh, everyone's got to run real quick. What's the nicest thing you own? And there's a reason I'm asking. And I'll tell you next week. The nicest thing, um, I don't know the nicest thing, the the most important thing I own, it's in my gun safe, but it doesn't take a a magazine, is the tiny Bakelite crucifix that my father, father carved out of the handle of a toothbrush in communist prison 
when he was there with a life sentence for being a patriot. It's, it's less than an inch long, and uh, it was a layered toothbrush with a blue background and a, a white top. He used a little piece of glass or something sharp, and he carved a crucifix with the body of Christ, a tiny one that he hid from the prison guards, and that's that's the reason that he was was one of the kindest, most normal, fun-loving men I ever knew, despite the fact that he was tortured at the age of 20, put in solitary for a year, given a life sentence before he was liberated six years later by the revolutionaries. So I don't know if it's the nicest. It's beautiful to look at. My father was an artist, but it is definitely the most valuable thing I own is that small little plastic crucifix my father carved in prison. What? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, <laughs> there's a reason I asked that question and uh, I want to, we'll talk about it uh, next week. If you'll, uh, if you'll join us again, Yeah. Uh, mine's measuring cups. I have a really nice pair of measuring cups that I got <laughs> from William and Sonoma and they're really nice. They're heavy. <laughs> so we have different cook? answers. Are you cook? Yeah. Yeah. We love to cook. Nice. So I had to get good measuring cups. I had to get good hardy. You pick them up and you're like, this is heavy, but that's that, that answer seems, uh, seems, uh, less significant. <laughs> <laughs> the one you gave. Uh, well, you're you're, pra you're a practical man. You're a practical man. That's it. Exactly. My, my, right. my, my, mine is a spiritual answer. Yours is a practical answer. <laughs> they both work. Uh, Dr. Gorka, where can people listen to you all the time? Uh, the the show actually cycles 24-7. The audio is on my website, sedgorka.com. You can watch us on the uh, Salem News Channel app three hours every day. We're across the nation uh, on 300 radio stations. You can uh, subscribe on Rumble. And I'm on all social media except for the, the fascists on YouTube who don't like people who tell the truth. So just look for Seb Gorka or Sebastian Gorka on Truth Social, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Parler, Getter. And then my Substack, brand new article up there yesterday is my whole name is one word, sebastiangorka.substack.com. That's sebastiangorka.substack.com. It's an honor. Thank you, sir. God bless. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Again, starting on Tuesday, the TV show will begin the simulcast of the last two hours of Breitbart News Daily on the first TV, DirecTV channel 347, among every other streaming platform you have, Pluto, Roku, your TV, like your, like your, your uh, Samsung TV or whatever. Uh, it's all there. The first TV starts on Tuesday.